Dear respected elders and brothers, dear mothers and sisters, dear students, listeners, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, most gracious, most merciful, who has blessed you and I to be sitting in his house and to be listening and studying and sharing some of the ulum and knowledge related to the verses of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, verses of the Quran, in a time when it's not common for gatherings like this to take place. And for, for, it is not common for people to be gifted with this blessing of sitting in the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, <coughs> attending a dars. So uh, the more grateful you and I are, the more Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will shower us with his blessings. And we seek forgiveness and protection in Allah azza wa jal from our past and current sins, which may end up becoming, a, we beg Allah not to become a means of us being deprived being deprived of the Qur'an, being deprived of the sciences of the Qur'an, being deprived of uh, the nur of the Qur'an. And as we begin today's dars also, I request all those who are attending, inshallah, to renew our intentions. That we're here to uh, personally get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through the study of the Qur'an. As the Prophet alayhi salatu has mentioned, the gist of which is that nothing can get you closer than that which has come from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Meaning... The Qur'an has come from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and this is, as we know, as we know, this is not a creation. As we study in Aqidah class, this is not a creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Rather, this is Allah's speech, Allah's kalam. So, by studying something which is the closest to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's kalam, we can expect to be able to get closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's how we should study it. And we're studying the most honorable possible thing that we could be studying. This is not a creation. This is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's attribute. We're studying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's attribute. So imagine how, how special uh, every single verse of the Quran is. And if we study even one verse and, and, and the depth of it comes into our heart and the beauty of the verse comes to us, that could be more than sufficient for our guidance. It could be more than sufficient for our forgiveness. So when we think about what we are sitting with, what, what, what great gift, then inshallah tabarak wa ta'ala, it will make it easy for us to appreciate every second that we are here. And hopefully inshallah will make it very meaningful. Second thing I want all of us to um, make niyyah, that ya Allah, whatever situation I'm going through, whatever my current spiritual state may be, whatever is most effective, to help me get to the next level, allow me to hear that in this dars. If everyone makes this niyyah, allow me, Allah, to hear that which I need to hear, then inshallah, wa ta'ala, you will be able to hear what exactly you need to hear, catered, tailored exactly to your own needs. So I make this niyyah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala share that, allow me to share that which is most beneficial for myself and all of you, and I want all of you, inshallah, wa ta'ala, to do the same. Last week, we um, actually were just going through some stories of uh, the incident of Khandaq. Some of the various incidents that happened, the depth uh, and the difficulty of, of this trench, and how Nabi alayhi salatu wasalam, 
How Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam made an effort, he, as we said, he got into the, he got into the um, trenches with the Sahaba radiallahu anhum wa ajma'in. <coughs> so, one of the incidents that took place during Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's um, time with the Sahaba in the Khandaq is you saw miracles started happening. A lot of miracles happened in this incident of, of Khandaq. And what we see with Rasulullah's life, that with difficulty comes the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's just kind of what we have to expect. If you want to see miracles, they're not going to happen with no pain, no gain. You don't see miracles happening when you're sitting on your bed. They just don't happen like that. In order for a miracle to happen, in order for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, a person says, yeah, I want to see a miracle, something amazing happening. It doesn't happen like that. You have to first give everything you have to Allah and you have to basically break all your expectations from everyone else. Put all eggs in one basket. That's the basket of Allah. Put everything in there and then inshallah you will see the help of Allah, you will see miracles. If Allah wills it, yes, why not? A miracle is the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will come. But a person does not put the trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and keeps on doubting, doubting. I don't know if Allah will let me, Allah don't know if Allah will take care of me. Allah don't know if Allah will take care of me. This type of... Um, Back and forth with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not bring Allah's help and will not definitely bring any miracles. You have to completely, completely surrender yourself to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, Nabi and when do, when do you surrender? Surrender in face of difficulty. So, Khandaq is a very, as we heard yesterday and last week and the weeks before, was the most difficult battle of the Sahaba. They were shook, shook into the core. They never felt ever like this. It never, remember we said last week that this was not a ghazwa, this was not just one of those battles when the Muslims were attacked and you know, just one small skirmish. Instead, this battle was the battle of isti'sal, of completely eradication of the Sahaba, eradication of the Muslims. The purpose was it to completely uproot them for good. That was why they had all gathered together. So now the stakes are very high, sacrifices, it's freezing cold, it's. Uh, and they're surrounded from all directions. And the Kilam, the Salman Farsi gives the opinion of making a approximately, you know, four mile uh, long trench between two mountains. The depth and the width, you know, Subhanallah, was massive. Um, the actually Subhanallah, the section that Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam gave to each person, I was doing the math on it, comes up to. Every group, every group of 10 people, they had to dig out 78 square feet. Right? 78 square feet of dirt with their hands. It's not already dug up, you just pick it up. You have to dig it. You have to loosen the earth. Rocks, stones. Okay? 78.75 square feet per uh, group. And what is the exact idea, uh, you know, uh, uh, length? It's about six kilometers in length, and the depth of it, three meters. Three meters deep, ten meters, to six kilometers long, and the width of it is seven meters. Okay, seven meters in width, three meters deep, six meters long, six kilometers long. That is the khandaq, between two mountains. And it's freezing cold, and everyone is hungry. And behind in Medina is who? The Yahud. And outside of Medina is the, the Ahzab from, from the Christians and the Jews and the Mushrikeen all piled up against Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and Sahaba. And Nabi alayhi wa is reading 
the lines of poetry, right? To encourage the Sahaba. He's, he's um, Allahumma la aisha illa aisha al-akhirah, faqfir lil-ansara wal-muhajirah. Right? This, he kept on, you know, various narrations of that. Um, oh Allah, there is no life but the life of the hereafter, so please help my, my uh, muhajireen and ansar. Assist them, forgive them. Um, Allahumma inda al-ajr ajul akhirah, farham al-ansar wal-muhajirah. Allahumma la khaira illa khairul akhirah, fansur al-ansar wal-muhajirah. Allahumma la khaira illa khairul akhirah, fabarik fi al-ansari wal-muhajirah. Allahumma la aisha illa aisha al-akhirah, fakrim al-ansar wal-muhajirah. Making du'a for maghfirah for the ansar, making du'a of mercy for ansar, making du'a of assistance for the ansar and muhajir, making du'a for blessing for ansar and muhajir, making du'a for honor for muhajir and ansar. And Nabi Alayhi is giving targhib. He's just encouragement, encouragement. This is what we gotta do. I know it's hard, I know it's difficult, but which I'm in with you. I'm in the trenches with you. This is how it's gotta be. So this created the desire in Sahaba to continue to work hard. And what was their response? We are the ones, we are the ones who gave our pledge of allegiance to Muhammad. We are the ones who gave our pledge of allegiance to Rasulullah to sacrifice and struggle for the deen as long as we're alive. That's what we signed up for. We're ready. That's what we signed up for. It was not easy. It is absolutely, they didn't expect any of this. But when Nabi Sallallahu was with them in the trenches, is encouraging them, and making dua for them, look at the beautiful response. The response is, we're in for it till the end. And we made this uh, commitment with you that we will strive and struggle to serve the deen as long as we're alive. And the Prophet ﷺ is also in one instance, is uh, uh, covered his stomach and his whole body is covered with soil and mud. And he's saying, Wallahi lawlallahu mahtadayna. I swear by Allah, if it wasn't for Allah, we would have never given, been guided. If it wasn't for Allah, we would have never given charity and never been, never been able to pray. Ya Allah, bring down your sakina, your reward, your tranquility upon us. And keep our, firm, our feet firm when we come face to face with the enemy. Keep our feet firm when we keep when we come face to face with the enemy. Indeed, our own relatives have transgressed against us. Our own relatives have become our enemies. When they choose to create, stir up mischief, abayna, abayna, abayna. Nabi Sallallahu would repeat this at the end loudly three times. We refuse. We refuse to cave in. We refuse to allow them to create mischief. We refuse to become you know, puppets of, of mischievousness. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa is repeating this out loud. Three times, abayna, abayna. We're not going to accept that. So this beautiful poem of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa is quoting Abdullah ibn Rawaha this, with this poem. And the gist of that is that um, whatever we're doing right now in the trenches is because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is enabling us to do it. If it wasn't for Allah, we'd be, you know, we don't know, we'd be lost. This is Nabi alayhi with the very best of companions saying this. If it wasn't for Allah, we wouldn't have prayed, fasted, sacrificed. Of course, we wouldn't be sitting here digging a trench either. We wouldn't be here defending Medina. We wouldn't be here defending the Prophet This is something, my beloved friends, so important. When we do the effort of deen, we should never think that we're doing a favor to anyone besides our own selves. Anytime you sacrifice, anytime you're in pain, anytime you're going through, 
And it will happen. Many times you, you, you sign up for something, you expect help, and you expect two people to be with you, and you realize there's no one, you're alone. You're the only person there. And you say, what, what was this about? But that's the thing, you signed up with who? You signed up with Allah and His Rasul. You signed up with Allah and His Rasul. You didn't sign up with an organization. You didn't sign up with some random person. And then you say, oh, subhanAllah, this is not fair. And no one else is here except for me. Who says that? Those are people who, do, who are not expecting the rewards from Allah. They're expecting the rewards from other people. May Allah forgive you and I. I know this is a very common feeling that happens to us. This is the weakness of our own. We should not feel like that. Instead, we say, I signed up for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to do something. Hence, I will do it regardless of what the situation may be. If people are with me, great. If they're not with me, I'm not going to sit down and say, uh, you know, if no one else is helping, I'm not going to help. Because why? We're not doing it for people. We're doing it for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Very important part. And Nabi alayhi continuously, he's doing dhikr. That dhikr is, you know, in a form of a poem, poet, poems. It's like a battle cry. It creates excitement. So if we do dhikr out loudly, what's the issue with that? If a person is doing something, you know, subhanAllah, and he wants to do, say, La ilaha illallah, come let's all do dhikr together while we are cleaning. Or while we are moving something difficult. Or while we are doing some type of physical activity for the sake of Allah. Pushing, pulling, lifting. It's hard. And you get everyone to do dhikr together. There's nothing wrong. Here you got Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He's doing dhikr. This is poem, but it's a dhikr. What are you doing? It's, it's, it's praising Allah. It's, a, it is ask, it's supplicating Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for assistance and help. This is the dhikr in the form of poetry. Okay? Because there's that rhyme and rhythm that gets people excited in it. So when a person at times, the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala collectively, it creates excitement and forces us, pushes us to do something. How sad, subhanallah al-azim. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for protection from myself and all of you from being, from being pushed away from the deen. We do dhikr at the end, right, of our gathering here. So there was some youngsters, subhanallah, uh, uh, who used to come for the tafsir. And they said, subhanallah, now we've been told that this is a gathering of haram, we cannot come anymore because the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes place at the end. And Defri, I said, so the person told me that, you know, they had said, I said, okay, let them come and speak to me. I said, no, no, they don't want to speak. You know, they don't want to discuss. I said, do they know Arabic? I can send them some fatawa in Arabic. Got it. No, they don't know Arabic either. So now what should I do? This is just a fitna. They've fallen. They've fallen into a fitna. This is a very dangerous fitna. A person doesn't know something and thinks he knows something. And because of that, he deprives himself of khair. Where, where are they going to be spending this Tuesday night? What other gathering is there taking place that they're spending? Subhanallah. What a huge... You know, deprival is simply because of arrogance and ignorance compounded together. Ignorance and arrogance compounded together. We, this, is, this is a bitter, this is a very toxic mixture. That a person doesn't know something, and on top of that he's arrogant, doesn't want to learn, doesn't want to ask. And due to that, he, he deprives himself of great benefit to himself. So, for those who are listening, let's not fall into this trap. You don't know something, ask. You have questions about something, you have a criticism about something, ask. But do not issue fatawa yourself. When a person, it is basic, basic understanding of deen is not present. Basic Islamic studies is not present. And here we are saying, you know, I heard so-and-so said this, I heard so-and-so said that, and make judgments against them. You know, so this is, um, uh, what we're speaking about over here is that, Abdullah ibn Rawah radiallahu anhu's poetry, Rabbi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is saying, using this to excite. 
<laughs> lot of the things that, you know, the seerah of Rasulullah I bet you people who haven't studied true deen, if they were to say, oh, you know, someone did this, they'd say, oh, this person is a bid'ati, mubtada'ah. He's an innovator. Things from the seerah itself, when you do, if, you, if you have a very skewed understanding of Islam, a very biased understanding of Islam, a very narrow, shallow understanding of Islam, I'm sure there are instances from the seerah of the Prophet wasallam that if a person were to share a story and would not say that the narrator or the, the person in this story is Rasulullah, he would say, hey man, this person is lost. You know, he's a mubtada, he's an innovator, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Dal mudil, misguided and misguiding others. They are, I promise you, that's what will happen. There are so many beautiful incidents of Rasulullah of doing good, khair, whatever it may be. But because it doesn't fall into this select understanding of Islam that we have downloaded into our minds from a specific spectrum, from a specific lens, it doesn't match up with that. That's what we heard on Sunday when we were hearing about Bukhari, defending Sahih Bukhari, one of Yusuf Ghoth's amazing presentation on hadith literature and protecting ourselves from falling into the issue of inkarul hadith, rejection hadith. What did, we, what did we learn? That there are people, large groups of people now, and it's increasing, who are denying hadith. Why would you want to deny hadith? Many, multiple reasons. There's arrogance there. There's ittiba'ul hawa there, wanting to follow your desires. That's a very, very big one. But then there's this worldview that people have begun to subscribe to. Due to the popular culture, due to the uh, popular popularity of certain isms and understanding of life today. They've subscribed to that mindset, that view on life. And then when they, fall, when they come across a hadith that does not support that, their own choosing, that this is how the world should be, this is how the life should be, they say, oh, this hadith got to be weak. This hadith doesn't make sense to me. This hadith I have to reject. If this, that means the Prophet, ah, I'm sorry, the whole hadith literature must be wrong. Why? By, why? Because... This hadith goes against my worldview of how women should be treated, how men should be treated, how fulan should be treated, how fulan should be treated. I, where did you get that worldview from? Where did you get that from? There is no proof for this. You picked it up from school, you picked it up from movies, you picked it up from popular culture, you picked it up from your friends. Okay, that's bad enough. But now when the hadith does not match with that, you're using your own personal worldview to reject the hadith. Right? That's the main reason they get irritated. They say, this can't be, this cannot be, this can't be Islam. This is not the Islam I subscribe to. Uh-uh. Because, you know, I'm feeling allergic to this. I'm getting an allergic reaction just reading the hadith of this. So what should I do? Should I change myself? No. I'm going to make Islam mold to myself, not the other way around. And just say, this can't be, this can't be right. Okay? So you can't do that with the sirah either. There will be certain things in the sirah that it won't make sense to you. And you have to remember the story of Abu Bakr Siddiq and Umar anhu in the story, I'm sorry, Abu Bakr Siddiq in the story of Mi'raj. When, when the kuffar came to Rasul, when Abu Bakr anhu, and they said, hey, you hear of a person who went to overnight to Bayt al-Maqdis and beyond that unto the heavens? <laughs> what do you say about that? How crazy, right? Right? And he says, well, who, who are you speaking about? He says, we're speaking about your friend. Muhammad Abdullah, this is what he's saying. Oh, you're speaking about him? Oh, then yeah. Of course, then there's nothing wrong with that. Of course, then that's what he did. He said, did you hear what he said? He went he, overnight. He went thousands of kilometers away and then from there into the heavens. You're going to say you're going to still believe that. They use this story. It's like what they're doing. There's an evangelical school. 
that sends their students to practice evangelism upon Muslim students in university. And they prey upon our uneducated masses of Muslim college students. And see, visit them in the lounges, in the lunch break. And open up verses of the Quran and a hadith of the Prophet And say, hey, let's start talking. Very, very, uh, you know, uh, manipulative in that. Get close to them. I want to learn about Islam. You're a Muslim, right? MashaAllah, great. Yeah, fine. I wanted to have, start asking this discussion within five minutes in. Say, oh, you know, I was coming across something. And then you show him a hadith. And he reads it. He's like, Whoa. man, I don't know where you got this from. No, no, no. Look at it. What he says? It's from Bukhari. What? It's from Bukhari? Oh, man. Uh, then, if, this, then, uh, so yeah, I was just, then I found another one. And he brings something from Muslim. And he said, didn't you guys, this is the most offended books of hadith, right? Then they'll bring some verse of the Quran. That, way, that must be some scholar who said that. No, actually it's Surah Al-Nisa, it's Surah Al-Ahzab, it's Fulan Surah. Man, I don't know about this stuff. There you go, mission, you know, accomplished. So they actually practice their effort of creating, putting, seeding, putting the seeds of doubt within the Muslims. And I know people who have seen this, who are witnesses, who are victims of this. Alright? That they had no answer. And they came running very, very few, even at that time, will think about asking the scholar. They won't. They'll think, they won't give Islam a chance. They'll think, you know what, this guy's probably right. <laughs> this is all fake stuff that my parents taught me. And he'll give up. What happened? Because of him not understanding, this is the serious issue I'm speaking of. Because of him not having trust in Allah and His Rasul, you come across an ayah of the Quran or Hadith that doesn't make sense with your worldview that your classmates ascribe to, all of a sudden your deen is in shambles. And they actually end up leaving Islam. So there's hundreds and thousands who are leaving Islam right now. Because they're coming across verses of the Quran and Hadith that they don't know how to understand. And instead of, instead of asking for help, seeking answers, they decide to leave, leave, leave Islam. So Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anhu, as soon as he heard this, he said, if Muhammad said this big claim, then I've got to believe him. Why? Very important. Because I believe, as outlandish as what you're saying sounds to me, right, I'm saying this. As outlandish as it seems that a man says he went overnight to, uh, to Bayt al-Maqdis and onto the heavens. Guess what? I believe in things that he says that are much harder to believe than this. Which is, he says he receives revelation from the heavens regularly. An angel comes to him and says this and that, this and that. He says, God said this to me, God said that to me. And I believe him. Which one's more harder to believe? A one-night trip to the heavens? Or to sit there and say, guess what? Jibreel just came and told me this. Guess what? Allah just put this in my heart. Guess what? This is paradise. This is hellfire. This is how it's going to be. This is the depth of hell. This is the depth of, these are the gardens of paradise. And goes on and on describing things that no one ever heard of. No one ever seen. Which one is harder to believe? If I believe him for this, if I believe that he receives revelation, then how hard is it for me to believe that he went overnight? Understand that? Since Summiya Siddiq, since then he was known as Siddiq radiallahu anhu, the one who believes every single thing that the Prophet says. So this hadith is very important. This story is very important for us. You may not know all of Sirah. I may never know all of Sirah. You, may, you and I may never come across the entire hadith literature. You may never have the time to sit for five, six, eight, ten years to study, you know, the vast majority of hadith books and to go through all sorts of hadith. You, won't get, go, you will not get that time. You might not even have the opportunity to go through the entire translation of the Qur'an, which I hope we all do, but let's just say you don't get that opportunity. 
at the very least, we have to have trust. That I'm a Muslim and I trust whatever Allah and His Rasul have authentically said is right. Period. So if you come to me with to try to waver my iman, I don't care. If it's proven that Allah and His Rasul said that, then I'm just going to say, I don't know the answer, but I believe in it. Seriously, so you're going to believe in it? Yes, I do. That's it. Because my salvation, I didn't see paradise. I didn't see God. I didn't see angels. And I believe in all of that. You, which, which ism today is promoting that? Which classroom, co college class or high school class promotes the belief in paradise, belief in hell? None does. But I believe in it every day. I talk about God bless you, God take us to paradise, God protect us from hell. We see all of these things when no one is speaking about that. So if, isn't that as outlandish? Isn't that as counterculture? Isn't that already not mainstream? And of course it is. It's not mainstream, but that's what we call faith. So if I'm able to have that faith in the unseen, I'm gonna go to the next step and say, whatever my prophet, he married X number of wives, he participated in this, this X number of battles, so be it. That's it is, that's who it is. Why, when, where? You, we, you and I can discuss these questions later on, if you want to, but I don't need to discuss that. How about if someone comes and says, okay, let me compare your mom and my mom. Like For what? What is the purpose of this comparison? Is it a job application or what? No, just see who has a better mom. Like, What's the purpose of that? She's my mom and that's it. There's no reason for me to sit and even have this conversation. Let's talk about comparing burgers or something else. Maybe you can speak about that. I can choose this one and that one. But my mother is mine. Your mother is yours. There's no point in sitting there comparing, right? So my, I have chosen deen of Islam to be mine. Muhammad is my prophet of Allah. And that's it. I've put in all my eggs in that basket. Done. So let's stop discussing about, oh, what do you say about, what does Islam say about this? Man, are you sure about this? Are you sure about that? These things, my dear friends, should not be discussion amongst yourselves. Speak on the usul of the deen. Do not speak about furu'ah. When your classmate, Muslim or non-Muslim, relative, who's doubting about deen, wants to sit there and argue about a hadith of the Prophet that he says is misogynist, right? He says is, uh, you know, against, uh, you know, women or seemingly against women, seemingly against children, or is, or is, or is promoting, Allah forbid, some other, you know, incorrect, uh, according to him, incorrect understanding, uh, according to him, something immoral. We'll say, brother, who decides what's moral and what's immoral? Who decides what's ethical and unethical? Not some sort of constitution, not some sort of bill of rights. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. We'll see how, that, how the spectrum is changing in the past 40 years. Look at what's happened with the entire LGBTQ movement. Where, where, was, where was the standard and where is it now? Let's, and what's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen tomorrow? What, look at how it's shifting. That's who you are. That's what this world is. Continuous you're shifting, shifting. The impossible, the worst of things that you said 40 years ago, you're putting them on, on psychiatric medicine. 80 years ago, you were what? Electrocu electrocuting them, putting them in electric chairs to treat them. And what happened, what happened to it now? This is just not on one issue. On so many issues, the world is changing on the issue of morality, issue of ethics, issue of what it means to be a morally upright person, what's the definition of marriage, all these type of things. But subhanAllah, the one thing that hasn't changed is Islam. Right? It's never changed. It's the exact same thing. So you can be with a fad, fashion, you can be like that, or you're gonna say old is gold. I'm gonna stick to something that has never changed, that has never bowed down to pressure of society, that has always been consistent and same no matter what. We all like that. When it comes to business, when it comes to a mechanic, when it comes to anything else, we say, well, we, you know, it's been in business since 1920. 
donuts from 1940. Right? The same old recipe. Here you got, subhanAllah, 1,500-year-old recipe of success that has never changed. Why not give preference to that? Okay? So we're going to take a step back. When someone, this is morally, you know, up, uh, not right, and fulan, 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 the deen. But what's our answer to that? Who decides morality? That's the issue. Morality is not subjective. Because obviously it is subjective right now in America, in the world. It's completely, completely, completely against what it was 40 years ago. What it was 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years, it's going to be different in the next 10 years. What is morally acceptable and not, what is ethical and not, all of this stuff is changing. So our answer is going to be that please do not use all of these current understandings to frame Islam in an incorrect manner. So this is, this is what I'm trying to say is a mute discussion. Stop talking about these issues with each other, with non-Muslims, with weak Muslims who are confused. Let's say, let's speak about Tawheed. Let's speak about Tawheed. Then we'll speak about Risala. And then we'll speak about Akhirah. Bas. Speak about Tawheed, speak about Risala, speak about Akhirah. So when, you, when, when we're cooking biryani, our mothers, when they cook biryani at home or any type of big, big dish of rice, they're pulling it out, the guests are coming. How do they taste it? Take one big, massive spoon and start chugging it down their mouth. You know, they take a few grains of rice, taste it, say, okay, it's done. Then we know the rest of it is good. Yeah? So take, pick up the grain of tawheed. Pick up the grain of risala. Understand that. Once it makes sense to you, you know this is the right pot. This is your religion. This is your deen. And then forget about the rest. You do not need to as you eat. How many of you eat biryani and you know exactly what spices have been put in there? Exactly. When you eat a nice pudding, how many of you know exactly what ingredients? You taste it. It tastes nice. What's inside there? I don't know. It tastes nice. I don't need to know. I accept it. My mother is not going to put poison in it. Get it? So once Islam, the dish of Islam has been presented to you, you don't need to understand everything. You don't need to have an explanation and answer for everything. You have to have this trust that the ultimate cook, Allah, has presented this dish to you. Enjoy it. It's for you. You don't need to know the ingredients, all of them. And you don't, know, you don't need to know anything else besides that. The fact that this is my gateway to Jannah. Bas. This example makes sense. So when you start trying to answer every single situation, you're going to find yourself in a problem. That's why don't sit there and watch Islamophobic videos. And then try to answer in the comment section. Right? There's no reason. There's no rhyme and reason to do that. That's going to only put your own faith into jeopardy. Instead, focus on the basics of your deen. And, and inshallah, continue to grow in your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Subhanallah. So we're, this was an interesting thing, asking and speaking about how we should not judge the seerah and the sunnah based on our specific skewed understanding. That's why even our madrasa used to say, don't, we should not make the hadith into Hanafi or Shafi'i. Don't make, don't make hadith into Hanafi or Shafi'i. You know, force it. Force it to fit into a specific fiqh. If the hadith is a mustadal, is a proof for one school of thought, alhamdulillah. But that doesn't mean every single hadith we have to twist and turn. And to say, okay, fine, we have to make this into a specific, follow a specific fiqh, etc. So similarly, more important than that, is that we should not take seerah, and, and try to fit it into our skewed understanding of the deen. Be it modernism or be it uh, 
subhanAllah, I saw this very nice post recently. You know, I don't usually look on social media. Someone shared something nice. He said, this is the sign of uh, ignorance today and the lack of deen that people focus on small things which are never, which are not even, which are not important. Like the spelling of inshallah. You saw that one? People get so excited. Say, oh brother, this is haram. And you know, the difference between convert and revert. And inshallah ta'ala, it's like if, you, if, you, if you write insha and Allah instead of it together, that's shirk. You never heard of this? Oh, it's a really big thing. I haven't hired him yet. You're right. Maybe uncles are nodding their heads. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Inshallah. Wait, I don't care. Let's forget it. But it's, 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 not, it's incorrect, okay? That any message you get about saying inshallah is misspelled, if you spell it, if you spell it with, um, in a certain manner, it's shirk. No, there's no shirk there, okay? I promise you. There's no shirk in the way you're spelling inshallah. But these are, why do people get fixated on these things? Because deen ka patani unko. They don't know anything about the deen, they haven't studied it. Oh, they, it's like the, it's like the, you know what it is? This is like, oh brother, fold up the musalla quickly after your salah, otherwise shaitan's gonna pray on it. You heard that one, right? Right? They're obsessed. Fold up the musalla quick because shaitan's gonna pray on it. And the, the famous answer is by that would be eat for the Muslims if shaitan prayed. That would be the best day for all of us. The day shaitan prays, game over. Khalas. We don't have to even say, you know, the world is gonna be changed forever. So we should have as many musallas open for shaitan to say, if you don't like this one, pray on this one. If you don't like this one, pray on that one. But this, why, the whole deen revolves around these type of things for certain individuals. Very firm, and they're usually completely, not even non-issues, they're incorrect understanding. You know, one word, this, one word, that. Pronunciation of, like the obsession of standing, you know, your, your knees touching and your elbows touching in salah. To the extent that people become verbally abusive with a person who doesn't do that. Right, this is again, shallow understanding of the deen. The issue with the dhikr of Allah that I just said right now. But you don't want to do dhikr of Allah, don't do Allah, no problem. But subhanAllah, to make this a, a um, maqsad of your life. Anytime a person, I remember many years ago, I, I spent a whole weekend doing talks in one masjid. And then I did a dua, oh boy. They just get so mad. You know, they want to label everything. Every year, if you collectively raise your hand and make dua, end of the world. Oh yeah, that's khatam. It's like, this guy is the most greatest dal muzil fasiq who has come to our community because he raised his hand to make dua. Didn't I tell you about Malawi last week? You guys remember that? No? Last week, you're never, none of you were here. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle, do you remember that? SubhanAllah, it's a very different crowd today. I mean, those of you who are not here, brothers, I don't know where you went. You know, please come back. This is, this is a, a new group of students, mashallah, who are here, but we're missing. Every single week, we're losing people. So then that makes me sad. I don't, know, I don't know where the rest of you have been. I spoke, I spoke about this last week. I said that in Malawi too, they, they recently had, or my friend was telling me, a meeting amongst a'imma. And, and, and the reason was they were trying to say, stop fighting with each other on issues of, you say ameen or not. Did you say, did you raise your hands and make dua or not? And they're giving, you know, giving fatwas against one another. While they're, they're evangelicals from this state, in the area, out there in the deepest villages of Malawi, converting people. Within the same week that meeting took place, my friend saw this happening in front of his own eyes. The guy came from somewhere around this area. In the midst of a place where there's no electricity, no water, no Coke, no Pepsi, nothing. It's the deep, 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 deep village of the third poorest country in the world. Going converting people to Christianity. While we're sitting there arguing about dhikr out loud, soft. I mean out loud or not? Dua after salah or not? This is what we, I hope this group of young people can fight against. Right? You know, you need to you, and argue against. They say, this is not... 
what the deen is about. You want to wear a thobe? Okay. You want to wear a short kurta? Sure. You want to wear a shirt? Wear it. You want to wear a Turkish clothing? Malaysian clothing? Wear whatever you want. What, why does this become, subhanAllah, the reason why we judge people? Why does that become an issue? Simply based on how a person dresses. A person enters a certain masjid, is labeled. Oh, you are fulan. You're part of this group. You're part of that group. Hezbi, you know, business. And I said last week that that's happening till today. People will, people will not attend programs. Like this beautiful program that we had last weekend. This past weekend. You know, and, and people are told, they'll say, no, subhanAllah. I remember one of our students was passing out a flyer. Many years ago, I said one masjid. And the guy, looked, he told me, he came back, he was shocked. He's like, a brother's like, oh, in Darussalam, they, oh, okay, the one-year product, they teach you how to wear a thobe, huh? That's what it is. That's what the, the gist. End product, wear a thobe out of the program. And he said it in a very degrading manner, obviously, right? So, uh, you know, these are the things that we have to all speak about. And, and address okay, this is killing us. I thought this stuff was left over in the Middle East and the subcontinent and whatnot, but no, it's not. We brought it over here, and we are further dividing ourselves into uh, factions and groups and so forth. And uh, we must, um, you know, Subhanallah. When Sheikh Omar Suleiman was here, he spoke Alhamdulillah a few words uh, as he attended the gathering. All of you were here. You know that. He tell he, you know, but Subhanallah, people say, Sheikh, what are you doing over that masjid? People tell him. People tell say, how, how, are you, how come you're inviting Sheikh Omar to your masjid? What they say behind our back is worse. This is one of the few things that they tell us. But my point is, these, these things are very hurtful to the ummah. Right? And, and the, if you had old uncle saying this, auntie saying this, fine. They say, okay, khalas, that's from something they inherited. They brought it here, you know, it will pass, it will go away with them. No, it's not. These are young people saying these type of things. And we need to step up our game to show that this is not acceptable. This is really, really har harmful to the ummah, especially at a time um, where, where we are in right now. It's really painful to see what's going on. So we're speaking about some of the amazing levels of sacrifice of the Sahaba in this battle and the miracles. So it's mentioned about Abu Bakr anhu and Umar anhu, that they didn't have shovels to move the soil from this 76, 78 square feet section. 78 square feet section. So they were using their clothing. They were using their clothes there to fill up with soil and to walk around and, and move it. So Nabi ﷺ, he had given every 10 Sahaba this section. So Muhajirun and Ansar now were hoping they could get Salman Farsi on their team. It's like the MVP, you know, in a tournament. Like, oh, we want him, we want him. So Muhajir Ansar all said, this man, he's, he's the one who came up with this idea. He probably knows how to dig. Right? Salman Farsi is the one who came up with this idea. Like, he knows how to dig. Let's have him on our team. So Muhajir and Ansar were fighting over trying to get Salman Farsi on their team. And he was really strong. And he knew how to do that. So they said, Salmanu minna. Salman is from amongst us. And then the other Ansar said, no, Salmanu minna. Salman is from amongst us. Allahu Akbar. The Prophet ﷺ said, La minkum wa la minkum. Salman is not from amongst you. Salman is not from amongst you. Salmanu minna ahl al-bayt. Salman is from amongst us, the people of the family of the Prophet ﷺ. Right? So this is a very famous incident. Salmanu minna ahl al-bayt. But you see how Nabi ﷺ wanted to ensure that they wouldn't be fighting with him. He took him on his team. SubhanAllah. Alright. Then there's an incident that happened. Amr ibn Awf, he says, I, Salman Farsi, Hudayfa bin Yaman, Nu'man bin Muqarrin, Al-Muzani, and a group of six Sahaba were digging 40 you know, uh, feet. So we dug up a place which was given to us, and all of a sudden we saw a white large boulder that was so hard that it broke our 
tools. And at that time, we said, Oh Salman, get up out of the trench and go call Rasulullah and explain to him about what happened over here. Because if we leave this stone over here, um, the only way it's going to happen is going to have to go around the stone. And that will not follow the line that the Prophet ﷺ made for the trench. He made a line like this off here. But that stone is there. And we shouldn't go around it because his line goes above the stone. That means we have to cut the stone. But all our axes and tools are breaking, broken. And our shovels are broken. This is too hard. So what should we do? You see? Ask. Right? It's not like, oh, by it, we have this, we have Alhamdulillah, we're brains, we're not fools, we'll just do our own thing. That's part of your intelligence that you ask. Today, this is gone from the Ummah. We don't ask. Everyone is so arrogant, and while being ignorant, that they refuse to ask. So he, they went up and they said, go ask and climb up out of this trench and go ask Rasulullah Salman went, radiallahu anhu, he said, Bi abina anta wa ummina. May my parents, may our parents be sacrificed for you, Ya Rasulullah. There's this huge boulder. And what should we do? So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, Salman fil khantaq. The Prophet came down into the trench with Salman. And the nine of us, we climbed out of it to the other end of the trench to look at what Salman and the Prophet do inside the trench. The Prophet took the shovel, the way it's mentioned in the hadith of Sahih Musnad, and he said, Bismillah, and he hit the boulder with that with the tool. So a third of this stone broke. Just broke off. And then the Prophet said, Allahu Akbar, u'atitu mafatiha sham. I have been given the keys of Syria, of Sham, Levant. I swear by Allah, I can see the red palaces from this place. Of Sham, the keys of those palaces are in my hand. Then the Prophet ﷺ hit it a second time. And then a third of the, of the stone broke off. And he said, Allahu Akbar. Alright? I have been given the keys of Persia. I swear by Allah, I see the city of Madain and I'm able to see its white palace from this place while I'm standing here. Then he said, Bismillah, and hit it a third time. The rest of the stone, the boulder fell into small tiny pieces. And he said, Allahu Akbar, u'atitu mafatiha al-Yaman. I swear, uh, I, Allahu Akbar, I have been given the keys to Yemen. Syria, Levant, uh, uh, Persia, and Yemen. Wallahi I swear by Allah, I can see the doors of the city of Sana'a from this place. So the Prophet ﷺ is seeing three great massive conquests that will change the, the history of mankind forever. While he's inside the tench, trench, 10 feet below, right, with two stones tied to his stomach, hasn't eaten for three days, freezing cold, everyone is scared to death. The Quran is saying that everyone is scared. And he's giving us this glad tiding that this is what's happening. What does Salman say? He looks at him, what he says? Sadaqta ya Rasulullah, hadhi sifatuha. The Prophet began to describe the Persian 
palaces and the places in Persia. And Salman is looking at him and says, you know what, Ya Rasulullah, you're 100% right. This, I'm from Persia, and that's exactly how Persia looks like. Right? So the, and all along, they're surrounded by 10,000 super armed teeth disbelievers out to completely destroy them. They didn't come to fight them. They came to eradicate them. And this is the conversation that's going on inside the trench. That this is what I'm seeing. So Abu Hurairah mentions that when these cities were conquered during the time of Umar and Uthman and afterwards, he says, Abu Hurairah said, "Iftahu ma bada lakum, he said, conquer as many lands as you wish, conquer as many palaces as you wish. Abu Huraira is telling the latter day companions and the students of the Sahaba. Conquer all you want. I swear by the one in whose life lies, in whose hands lies the life of Muhammad you will not conquer any city nor will you conquer any city in the, till the day of judgment, except the keys of those cities were already given to Muhammad before all of this. Meaning he was already informed. You're conquering it because of him. You're conquering it because you follow him. You're able to achieve this success because you're close to him. Don't ever think that you have done something beyond him or beyond the era of the Sahaba. Instead, whatever you're achieving, it's because of the fact that you follow their footsteps. Very important point. That's why in Aqidah we learn that there are two types of miracles. One is karama and what is? Mu'ajizah. Mu'ajizah is a miracle at the hands of a prophet. Karama is a miracle at the hands of a non-prophet. But a, you know, a good Muslim. And then what do we say? We say the karama of ummati, a karama of a ummati of Rasulullah in reality is a mu'ajizah of the prophet. Because the Ummati would never been able to achieve a karama if he did not follow the Sunnah. So the fact that you have, oh certain wali had a karama, certain people had karama. The reason they have a karama is because they're following the Sunnah. So every single karama in essence is what? A mu'ajiza of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. SubhanAllah, isn't that amazing? Right, so this is what, what Abu Hurairah is saying there. Whatever you conquer till the day of judgment, doesn't make a difference. You can go ahead and do whatever you want. But the reality is, the reality is, that all of it belongs to Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. I want you to see here, my be beloved friends, again, the trust of the Sahaba upon the Prophet Sallallahu I had a, I, I, a, a student um, who told me that he, he said, I asked him, why did you take the one-year program? Nine years ago story I'm telling you. Why did you join the one-year? Tell me, I asked him. He says, I was in, I was in university at, here in Chicago, one of the famous universities. He said, my Islamic studies teacher, non-Muslim or secular Muslim was sitting there explaining this very story that I just shared with you. And then he's drawing it on the board in university. <coughs> and then he started laughing. And he started laughing like laughter just. And he said, this is the most you know, ridiculous story that the Muslims could have concocted. Right? And he's like, who's got, a, who's, who's, got, who's, got, who's got the ability to defend this? So this young student said, I started crying inside. And he said, I, I know, I heard this, I read this in the seerah. But who am I to speak up to this super demanding, obnoxious professor standing here at the, at the front of the table in the classroom? I don't have the guts to be able to, to take him on. So he said, I stepped out of class and went under the stairwell and started crying. 
He says, I sat there crying. That, ya Allah, this is a sad day. That my Nabi is being attacked and I don't have the knowledge to defend him. I know this is true. I know my Nabi, this is the miracle. But here you have this person from the Middle East, actually, the teacher. He's sitting there making fun of my Prophet on this incident. And I don't have a way to answer. And he said, that's the reason I'm sitting in class. SubhanAllah. Right? What incidents happen in a person's life that make him come study ilm? MashaAllah. So this is, this is what we're speaking about over here. You're speaking about the, the, the trust of the Sahaba upon Rasulullah So, so important for all of us to be, have, have that. So what is the munafiqun? Of course, they started speaking up. They said, أَلَا تَعْجِبُونَ مُحَمَّدٍ يُمَنِّيكُمْ وَيَعِيدُكُمْ الْبَاطِلِ وَيَخْبِرُكُمْ أَنَّهُ يُبْصِرْ مِنْ يَثْرَبْ قُصُورُ الْحِيرَ وَمَدَائِنِ كِسْرَ وَأَنَّا تُحْفَحَ لَكُمْ وَأَنْتُمْ إِنَّمَا تُحْفَرُونَ الْخَنْدَقَ مِنَ الْخَوْفِ لَا تَسْتَطِعُونَ أَنْ تَبْرُزُوا The Munafiqun said, look you are. Look here. You are digging a trench, not because it's fun, because you're afraid of the 10,000 that are out there to destroy and eat you alive. And here you are, listening to your man, claiming to be seeing cities and, 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 and the conquest of cities and palaces that you all never even would, you could dream about. This is so, so, so far-fetched. He doesn't, and then they said, you are so afraid that you're not able to even go to the restroom because you're afraid that you're going to get shot at through spears or arrows. And here you're speaking about that. And that's what the Quran says. That is a time when the hypocrites and those who had a sickness in their heart. Sickness, what's a sickness? Doubt. Doubt is a horrible sickness. Horrible sickness. Skepticism. Is that very rife today? What do you guys think? Huh? Everyone is a skeptic. Everyone is skeptic. That's why no one wants to hear about karamat and mu'ajizat. They say, please brother, you know, don't say Sufi stories. They get allergic to it. I don't usually say too many of those either. But I'm just telling you one thing. I don't, I don't have to say, okay, you can say stick to Quran and Hadith, okay, sure. But why? Because I don't have to believe in that. Is it because it makes you feel uncomfortable when I share a story of a miracle? And that's a problem you have with your spirituality. You should never feel uncomfortable. You, you could say, yeah, I don't know the authenticity of it. But if it's proven authentic, most definitely, most definitely can happen. Anything can happen. Anything can happen that Allah allows it to happen, can happen. Period. That's the mindset you have to create, guys. You have to create. What's going to happen when Dajjal comes? What's going to happen as we move towards that era? If you have this skepticism, mind, skeptical mindset, right, it's, it's going to destroy a person. Because a person is thinking that Allah's Nusra cannot come like that. Allah's Nusra will come from places where you cannot imagine. That's what He says. Allah will provide for you from places where you cannot imagine. He didn't say He'll give you money in your wallet or you know you just get from places where you expect. No. Things will come to you from places where you cannot imagine. So if you have this mindset, no, it's gotta be here. The money's gotta be here. Right? Not here in the air. When it comes, you're not gonna take it. Just say, nah, this is fake. I'm giving it by way of example. That you have to have this trust that when Allah wants to give you assistance or when, if Allah wants to do a karama, anything for you, it can happen. Stop thinking that the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cannot happen. This is my big problem with myself and others. Anything I tell them, they say, no, they start giving excuses. And I say, don't give excuses. I can't do this. Can you join the summer intensive? Can you join the one-year program? Can you come to the retreat? Can you do this? Everyone says, brother, I can't. But why? Because of this. He said, okay, pray to Salat al-Hajjah, give sadaqah fast, and inshallah, let's move on. No, I just can't. 
No, you, your nafs is not allowing you to do that. Your nafs is telling you that you can't, and you're making an excuse, you're blaming Allah for that. And you're saying, no, I've, I'm in college, I'm in debt, I'm married, I got this issue, fulan issue, fulan issue, whatever in, invitation of good. I'm not saying just these things. Come for salah, come for this. People come up with excuse. And you tell them that that's not an excuse. Ask Allah to remove that excuse. They don't want to do that. They'll say, no, just, I just can't. When I'm not saying that I have the ability to remove your excuse or that you have the ability to remove the excuse, trust that Allah can remove that. Why can't you do that? Why can't you trust Allah to remove that? Prove it to Allah that you're serious and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make the unthinkable possible for you. Okay, this is very important. Really important. It is not impossible for Allah to do anything. It is very easy for Allah. These are all ayats of the Quran I'm reading for you. Right? That's aqidah. That aqidah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is able to do things. Allah Akbar. So now along in this, in this process of digging, what happened? Anytime a need would arise, some people would come and they say, Ya Rasulullah, we need to go. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Indeed, the believers and those who believe in Allah and the Prophet, whenever they're with the Prophet on something important, collective action, they don't go until they seek permission. They don't leave the battlefield or the trench without seeking permission. That is exactly what is a trait of a believer. When you're doing something collectively with your group leader, with your Amir, with your Imam, in the community or wherever you may be, then we don't just quietly walk away. Instead, we do not leave without taking permission. This is a sifa of a believer. We understand things happen. We understand you have something may come up, arise. But you don't leave without taking permission. That's what Allah is saying in Surah An-Nur, ayah number 62. That you, if, as a sign of a believer is you take permission before you leave. Okay, what about the other hand? Indeed, those who seek permission from you are the ones who believe in Allah and His Rasul. So when they seek permission from you for some of their affairs, give permission to whoever you wish. I'm not forcing you. Allah is saying, you, I'm giving you the authority to you know, decide. You are excused, you're not excused. This is acceptable, not acceptable. But at least entertain them and let them go who you think should be allowed to go. And then, Seek forgiveness from Allah for them. They have a valid excuse, but they're still missing out. They have a valid excuse, but they're still missing out. Seek forgiveness for them. Isn't that amazing? How often do we think that? That if we miss out on opportunity of doing good, we should seek forgiveness from Allah. I messaged some of, a few select group of people today. SubhanAllah. And I, I uh, what you call, uh, you know, I mentioned that you know a person should should focus any type of any type of uh, every any type of opportunity that we miss out on. We should feel nadama. We should feel sadness over that. That's that's what happened. And instead of thinking that I'm okay, so this is another attribute you learn from from this um, story. On the other hand, what do the munafiqin do? The munafiqeen, in the, what we learn from this story, is they leave liwada. They hide and they leave the battle trench without seeking permission. Okay, so this is an attribute of hypocrites. 
we are still speaking about the Khandaq. Because this is the sacrifice. Remember Ahzab, the battle of Ahzab, the story of Ahzab is a story of why is the surah called Ahzab? Because of the battle of Ahzab. This is, this is the major portion of the surah. Another amazing incident happened in this surah, in this battle. And that's a story of Jabir radiallahu anhu. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam was with his companions and Jabir radiallahu anhu came and he said, Ya Rasulullah, I see, he comes back home, he said, Ya oh my wife, Ra'aytu bin Nabi. He said, I saw the Prophet sallallahu alayhi he's going through a lot of pain. He is very sick, I mean he's very, he's very hungry and very cold. And he's going through a lot of difficulty and I cannot handle this. Do you have anything? She said, I have a small, uh, a small calf or a small uh, uh, goat and a little bit of flour. So he said, okay, go ahead and slaughter this and start making the bread. And he went to Rasulullah and said, Ya Rasulullah, Alhamdulillah, my wife is preparing the meal. Can you and a few come? So the Prophet ﷺ, he said, he, Rasul, Jabir told the Prophet ﷺ, can you and a few of you come? The Prophet ﷺ asked, well, how much you have at home? He explained to him, this is how much it is. The Prophet ﷺ said, kathirun tayyib, that's sufficient. That's a lot. Tell your wife, don't move the pot off of the fire and do not start baking the bread until I come. And then the Prophet ﷺ stood up and made an announcement. Qumu, all of you stand up. 1300, 1400. He said, We're, we got lunch at Jabir's house. Right? And they all started going through. So then Jabir came to the, his wife and he said, Wayhak, woe to us, we're destroyed. Do you know what happened? The Muhajirun and Ansar and all of them are coming. What are we gonna do? So the Prophet, his wife was an amazing lady. She said, Hal sa'alaka? Has he asked you um, how much food I have? And he said, Yes. The Prophet, his wife said, No problem. If she asked you, he knows how much food there is, then don't worry about it. He knows what he's doing. SubhanAllah. They look at the Iman of her. And then the Prophet said, Udkhulu. Come, enter in groups. Ten uh, groups of ten. The Prophet ﷺ began to make, uh, break the bread himself with his hands and pouring the meat and the uh, uh, broth over it. And he started handing it out to the Sahaba. 1400 Sahaba, approximately, or a little bit more than that, ended up coming, eating to their fill and leaving. There was a little bit left over. The Prophet ﷺ said, Kuli hadha. Eat, he told the wife of Jabir, eat this and give it to your neighbors and give it to others who may have not gotten the food. Right. This was the miracle that Rasulullah again, through his hands, Allah showed that with difficulty comes ease. But you have to go through difficulty first. That's just kind of how it works. SubhanAllah. So the, this incident, these incidents took place and I'm, I'm not going to go to, through all the incidents I've shared with you, maybe 10 or so. Incidents that took place during the time of this battle. Amazing, amazing things that you are, you've been hearing about. What is now Allah Jalla Jalaluhu? Yeah, and these are all are the take-home points for us. Everything we spoke about here is a take-home point from the seed of the Prophet ﷺ, from the tafsir of the Qur'an. That we have to have trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when you're going through difficulty, that's when Allah Jalla Jalalu's assistance will come through. Let's read from 
because I translated it previously, the previous week I had translated uh, a major portion of this. I would like to, inshallah, wa ta'ala, continue from um, where I left off. Allah says, Allah Truly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows well the hinderers amongst you, those who discourage striving in his path. As well as those who say to their brothers in hypocrisy, Come over to us. And they do not join in the battle except a little. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking about these certain people. He calls them muawwiqeen. Muawwiqeen are, uh, you know, we would say, uh, those who try to, you know, we'd say a party pooper, right? In, a, in a ones who are trying to ruin the dini effort, who try to create obstacles. These are the people who've got that negative energy, who are simply don't want to do anything and don't want to allow anyone else to do anything either. Okay? So when a person says, I would like to study ilm, brother, that they've got better things to do than that. I want to come to the masjid, brother, you know what, you can pray at home too, you know? It's like you got to take care of your kids, they got to pray with you at home. And you want anything you want, you want to give sadaqah, again, they'll stop you from giving sadaqah. Look at, you have, you have to worry about this, you have to worry about that, etc. This is what they will always be talking about. So if you spend, they have a problem. If you teach, you have a problem. If you learn, you have a problem. These are what we call the mu'awwiqeen. Mu'awwiqeen are people who will try to create obstacles in the deen. Allah says, قَدْ يَعْلَمُ اللَّهُ الْمَعْوِقِينَ Allah already knows those type of bad rotten apples from amongst you. That they stop people from doing good work. So we all need to ensure that we don't become from those. If you don't want to do something, don't. But please for Allah's sake, don't stop someone. Whatever he's doing, let him do it. And we should never become a means and a reason for stopping. Instead, we should become a means and reason of supporting people. قَدْ يَعْلَمُ اللَّهُ الْمَعْوِقِينَ مِنْكُمْ And what do these people do? They tell their brothers, halumma ilayna. Come here. Right? This is what I was saying in the retreat too to some students. We're going out to eat. I said, this is right here. You're falling asleep, go. You sleep. You want to go get coffee. You want to go eat. Do whatever you want. Why do you take a group of friends with you? That's wrong. Do not. You want misery loves company. I'm depriving myself of the lecture. I'm depriving myself of the of environment. And I want a group of car full of friends to do the same. Never do that. Never do that. Don't take people away from the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You're not able to benefit, I'm not able to benefit for some reason. It happens, fine. But why do you pull people out from the crowd? Pull people away from the gathering and say, let's go there, let's go there. So you know what I'm talking about, youngsters. We, this, is, this, hap this happens all the time in the gatherings. Instead, pick people up from the restaurant. And when you go get your burgers, hey guys, there's a program going on in the masjid, let's go. That's how it's supposed to be. So this is straight from the Quran, Mu'awwiq. Mu'awwiq, the one who becomes, you know, an obstacle in people's progress in deen. Anytime you, you and I end up pushing people away from the deen, from the masjid, and taking them to somewhere else, that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, okay, these people, these hypocrites, they are, uh, they are begrudging support to you but when the fear of battle comes near, you see them looking at you, their eyes rolling like one fainting in the throes of death. Yet when fear goes away, they flail, they flail you with their sharp tongues and they run after the worldly goods of spoil. Such as these have not believed. Thus Allah has rendered utterly futile their good work. And that for Allah is very easy. SubhanAllah. 
So in this ayah, Allah Jalla Jalalu is saying that the attributes of the people who try to become obstacles in the deen is that they find fault in the prophets and they find faults in those who are following the true deen. You will find that anyone who is not following the deen, he will have nothing good to say for those who are following the deen. He will find, he will accuse them of various things. Okay? That's what the Quran is teaching us. Okay. All right. Uh, uh, he will not do something and he will uh, find fault in those who are doing something. Number two, khawf al da'im. They will always be afraid. Those who do not follow deen, those who are hypocrites, will always be afraid of some sort of calamity befalling them. That if I follow the deen, I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose my honor. I'm going to lose this. I'm going to lose that. This is what they're afraid of. Number three, they stay away from the real hard work. Anytime there's a fear that I have to make sacrifice, they're not there. Because they're in for the goodies. They're not there for the hard effort. Okay? So this is what the, the, this is the gist of these ayats. Next, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about uh, the, sunnah, the seed of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Right? He says, these, disp- these uh, hypocrites, they're scared that the clans have not gone. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's Nusra came, and the wind came, right? We heard about the wind came, and uprooted all the tents, and the elephants ran, the pots rolled over, and they all left. <laughs> but since these hypocrites were so afraid, they, st- they came out of the hole, they're like, are they gone yet? Are they gone yet? That's what the Quran is speaking about. They're so terrified, they think the federated clans have not gone away, even though they were gone away. That's the reality of, of nifaq. Nifaq and hypocrisy makes you afraid of makhluk. And the person who is a true believer in Allah is never going to be afraid of, of the makhluk of Allah. That jaza' faza, anxiety, stress, is a weakness of our faith. Right? If we're always worried, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Instead, trust Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as Rasul. You're, you're doing the right thing and leave it up to Allah. This is so many lessons for me. So many lessons for all of us, subhanAllah. Laqad kana lakum, ayah number 21. Yet very truly, laqad kana lakum fi rasulillahi uswatun hasana. Yet very truly in the Messenger of Allah, there is an excellent model for you. Liman kana akhir. For whoever has hope in Allah and for salvation on the last day. And therefore remembers Allah much. This ayah is a very famous ayah when we discuss seerah of the Prophet ﷺ, this is always talked about. <coughs> that all of us have a role model, right? We all want to become like someone. And that personality that you want to emulate, the Prophet ﷺ is the personality that you and I need to wish to be one day. Right? We want to make sure that we become a father like how he was. A grandfather like how he was. We want to be a, a, a teacher the way he was. We want to be a brother and the way he was. A man in the public eye the way he was. All of those things. So the people of the dunya, <coughs> the people of the dunya, they have their role models. And the people of akhirah, our role model is none other than the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. When we, uh, people are watching you know, various types of personalities online, and they say, okay, this is who I want to be like. 
What is for the Muslim? Reading the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ. Falling in love with the Prophet ﷺ to say, I want to become like this. So this is the sign of true iman. How do you know you want to be like the Prophet ﷺ? What do you have to have? Number one, لِمَنْ كَانَ يَرْجُوا اللَّهِ You have to have hope in Allah. Number two, وَالْيَوْمَ akhir. You have to have hope on the Day of Judgment. Two things. If you have hope in Allah and hope in the Prophet, hope in the hereafter, then you will feel a connection with Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Uswatun hasana. وَذَكَرَ اللَّهَ كَثِيرًا And then therefore you remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala a lot. So when a person begins to follow the footsteps of Rasulullah sallallahu immediately it, what will happen? You will be starting, you will be remembering Allah azza wa jal a lot. Allah continues, وَلَمَّا رَأَ الْمُؤْمِنُ الْأَحْزَابِ when the true believers saw the federated clans advancing, the believers said, this is exactly what Allah and His Messenger have promised us. What does that mean? When the Muslims see difficulty, they, their response is, that's what we were expecting. Who said it was an easy path to Jannah? Who said that? We never said that. No one said that. Yeah, that's what it is. Rasulullah says, get ready. This is the path to Jannah. It's difficult. So when the Muslims saw the advancing armies, 10,000 strong, they said, هَذَا مَا وَعَدَنَ اللَّهُ رَسُولُهُ Trial and triumph, this is what Allah has promised. وَصَدَقَ اللَّهُ رَسُولُهُ And indeed, Allah and His Messenger have spoken the truth. وَمَا زَادَهُمْ إِلَّا إِيمَانًا وَتَسْلِيمًا Thus it only increased them in faith and in pure submission to Allah. My beloved friends, these are beautiful ayat. Beautiful ayat. That is teaching us that the true believer will never be phased by the difficulties he faces. Instead, he asks himself, what am I doing right now? Yes, I'm facing difficulty, but did I pray my salah today? Did I do my dhikr today? Did I commit any haram? If I didn't, and difficulties come in my way, it's from Allah. That's it. It's fine. You have to get to your, a certain street and it's uh, your house is on that street and it says road closed except for what do they call that? local traffic potholes big construction equipment all sorts of stuff but if you know your house is on that street what are you gonna say? oh that's it I better not sleep tonight I better not go to my house let me go find a stay in a hotel because it says road closed or it says only through traffic or it says watch out for construction that's it I'm gonna leave that makes no sense it's your house, you're on the right path. Who cares what comes on your path? You gotta get home. You're not gonna go stay somewhere else because that's your house. But for a person who is looking for the easy way and who doesn't have deen as maqsad, as soon as he sees the road close sign, he says, oh bus, I'm gonna go somewhere else. I see that many times, how shaitan plays with people. They'll come and say, brother, the, the, door, the North Avenue gate was closed or Funan gate was closed. Or yeah, whatever. I'm giving examples. Let's say there was traffic. The stoplight was very long. There was an accident. If you need to come to the masjid, none of this will make a difference to you. None of this will make a difference to you because your maqsad is the masjid. You will come walking. You will come crawling. Your maqsad is some 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 deen. Whatever happens, your maqsad is to please your parents. Your maqsad is to take care of your family. When that is your maqsad, then the obstacles will not turn you away from it because you know you're doing it for Allah and that you're on the right path. Does it make sense? But when you don't have that maqsad, then you'll say, oh, you'll get phased and scared by these lights. 
Very important point for us to understand. So the Sahaba, when they saw these armies coming together, they said, okay, if Allah wants us to uh, go through this difficulty, fine. Allah has spoken the truth. We're never, this is not gonna, this is not going to affect us. So this is a take home point from here. That incidents that are those incidents which crush you. Incidents which what? Crush your spirit, crush your body, crush your mind. These actually increase the iman of the believers. These increase the iman of the believers. And so a mu'min, I mean, as I was reading this, really, I, I, I had tears in my eyes, just reading this, this stuff. See, this, is, this is amazing, subhanAllah. Like what the situation should be. Al-mu'min fi al-rakha mu'min, fi al-shidda mu'min, fi al-ghina mu'min, fi al-faqr mu'min, fi al-saha mu'min, fi al-marad mu'min, fi iqbal al-dunya mu'min, fi idbariha mu'min, fi inqibadi qalbiha mu'min, fi inshirahi qalbihi mu'min, la yatagayyar. He is a believer, whether he is depressed or he is relaxed. He is a believer. He is poor or now he is rich. Or he was rich and now he is poor. He was disgraced and now he is honored. Or he was honorable and now he became disgraced. The dunya is coming to his feet now or the dunya is running away from him. He is in ease or he is in difficulty. It does not make a difference. In every single state, he is a mu'min because he has made a commitment and a mu'ahada and a pledge with the creator of the creation. Intahal amr. Affair. That's it. That's issue done. Alright? So when you listen to this, you realize that we're all going through difficulty, yes. But no matter what difficulty it is, as long as our condition, our heart is connected with Allah, then you and I should be content that Alhamdulillah we're in the right path. مِنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ رِجَالٌ صَدَقُوا مَا عَهَدُوا اللَّهِ Ayah number 22, or 23. Allah says, and amongst the believers are men who are, have truly fulfilled what they have covenant, what covenant they have made with Allah. فَمِنْهُمْ مَنْ قَضَى نَحْبَهُ Thus of them are those who have fulfilled their solemn vow of faith. And they are those who are waiting. You've heard this ayah before? SubhanAllah. For unlike the hypocrites, they have not altered their covenant with even the slightest alteration. Amazing ayah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, this ayah number 23. Now listen, reflect on this ayah. Next time you hear it in the Quran, you read it, it should affect you. Min al mu'mineen. From amongst the believers, there's only two types. There's only two types. One type are the ones who fulfilled their covenant with Allah and died practicing the deen, giving up their life. And there are those who are waiting. That's it. There is no third type of person. There's no third type. The Sahaba were of two types. Those who be died as a shaheed and those who are waiting for martyrdom. And they never said, Oh my God, this is crazy. This is the level of sacrifice Islam is asking. My brother has already died. My father passed away. Fulan happened. That's it. No. They never for once thought, What did I sign up for? What did I sign up for? This is too much. Like the hypocrites. Hypocrites are always rethinking the contract that they made with Allah. Hey, let me go look through this. You know, fine, fine, uh, fine print. The Sahaba and those who followed the footsteps of the Sahaba, they sign and leave. I looked at the contract that they accepted Islam. And after that, I shred the contract. I've given up myself to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whatever He asks, I'm ready for it. That's how it is, my friends. This ayah, it should give us excitement. And it should really hit us in our core that how these Sahaba were.
Khubayb radiallahu anhu. Allahu Akbar. Khubayb radiallahu anhu, he is about to be killed. They've, they've tied him up and they've put him on a, a, a cross to uh, hang him. Okay? Abu Sufyan, who's not a Muslim, comes up to him and he says, Oh Khubayb, anta jarisun fi baytik. You are sitting in your home and in, if you are amongst um, your family with your wife and your kids, everything taken care of, would you, would you switch spots with the Prophet? Wouldn't you have the Prophet in your place dead? Look at this, you're a nice guy. You got caught in the wrong crowd, man. You got caught in the wrong crowd. Why did you accept Islam? Here now you're gonna be mercilessly killed and, and, and hung. You could have been with your wife and your kids. Wouldn't you at least now want to switch? If just hypothetically, what would you, what's your thoughts on this? Khubayb is being asked. What is the response? Wallahi I swear by Allah, I would never want to be amongst my family, wa waladi, amongst my children, and I'm enjoying the luxury of this dunya. And the Prophet were to be afflicted with a thorn. No. I'd rather die than the Prophet get a, a simple thorn perk. That's what you call Iman entering into the heart. Sa'ad bin Rabi'ah, after the, after the incident of Uhud, the Prophet said, Man yanzur li ma fa'ala Sa'ad bin Rabi'ah. Can you go check where Sa'ad bin Rabi'ah is? What did he do? Go find Sa'ad bin Rabi'ah. So a man from the Ansar said, Ana ya Rasulullah, I'll go find him. So he began to go look because Sa'ad bin Rabi'ah was not amongst those who were alive. He went to go find him amongst those who were lying on the ground until he found Sa'ad radiallahu anhu injured fatally injured, and he's got the last few breaths left in him. And he said, Ya Sa'ad, O Sa'ad, Inna Rasulullah amarani an andur lahu. The Prophet ﷺ has came to, uh, sent me to check for you. Are you amongst those who have passed away or those who are still alive? Right before he gave his last breath, this young Sahabi, Sa'ad bin Rabi says, Inni fil amwath. Tell him amongst from, I'm amongst, from, I'm, I am amongst those who have died. فَأَبْلِغْ Rasulullah minni salam. Please give my parting salam to the Prophet. And then he said, Inna Sa'adin yaqulu lak. Tell my Prophet that Sa'ad tells you, Jazakallahu anna khaira ma jaza nabiyan an ummati. May Allah reward you better than any Prophet got rewarded on behalf of his ummah. Wa abli qawmaka anni as salam. And give my salam to your community. Yani the ummah of Rasulullah. Wa qullahum. And tell them from me as I die. إِنَّ سَعَدْ يَقُولُ لَكُمْ That indeed Sa'ad tells you, إِنَّهُ لَا عُذْرَ لَكُمْ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ You will have no excuse in front of Allah. إِنْ خَلُصَ إِلَىٰ نَبِيُّكُمْ If the enemy gets to your prophet, while even a single one of you is still alive. وَفِيكُمْ عَيْنٌ تَطْرَفْ While even a single amongst you, even if you have a single eye blinking, عَيْنٌ تَطْرَفْ means eye blinking. Even if there's one of you who's got a blinking eye and someone gets to the prophet, you will have no way to respond to Allah. You will be destroyed. This is his last words. He's dying, appreciating the Prophet ﷺ for the martyrdom that he received as a Muslim. And making dua for the Prophet and then telling the Ummah that I tried as much as I did. I'm dead now. You all have to defend him now. This is the battle of Uhud. So this is what you see amongst the Sahaba. Sayyidina Ja'far al-Tayyar a famous incident of, of, Yarmu, of um, uh, uh, Muta. He's, he's fighting and he, he's holding on the onto the flag, and the, the enemy went and cut his right arm. And he holds it on to the left arm. They cut his left arm. And then after that, he holds it on with his two shoulders until he's killed.
right? This is what you see, subhanAllah, amongst the Sahaba Majma'een. This type of jazbah, this type of desire to serve Islam till the last breath. And this should inspire us. We're no, yani, subhanAllah, what we have to do is basic things. Study, come close to the masjid, be dutiful to our parents, stay away from haram, listening to haram, looking at haram, thinking of haram, staying away from the haram, fulfilling of the faraid. This is the challenge of today. Key thing is, how are we going to ensure that this stays within us? Through good sahbah, good companionship. If you had a good, good group of friends, those are the people who will keep you motivated like this. And that's why the sahaba are called sahaba, because they had the suhbah of Rasulullah And that's what we all are. Today we're sitting here because of the friends you and I have had in the past, or you and I have now. That's the only reason we're sitting here. Think about it. If we were in the wrong crowd, we wouldn't be sitting here. It is through that companionship. So it's a reminder to myself and all to continue doing what you and I are doing. To continue to stay with good friends. And those of us who, who have bad friends, then we need to make that decision. That we have to leave them. Allah subhanahu says in ayah 24, Therefore Allah shall reward the truthful for the unfailing truthfulness and torment the hypocrites if He so wills or grant them repentance. Meaning Allah is putting this test in the dunya and at the end those who are truthful their reward will be from Allah. There's a price He's asking you to pay. Fifty dollars, hundred dollars. He's 100% going to give you Jannah in lieu of it. Don't think Allah is going to walk away from that. Of course not. He will, he will definitely fulfill his end of the deal. He is asking you to do what you have to do. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will fulfill his end of the deal. Subhanallah. That's why the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa when he would hear some beautiful gift that Allah would give him, he would make shukr. He would do, as some narrations mentioned, he would fall into prostration and thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for that. He would fall in the state of sujood and shukr for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. <clears throat> Inshallah we'll continue from ayah 25. From the next week we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant all of us these beautiful qualities of the sahaba that we studied this today. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us protection from the qualities and the characteristics of the, dis- of the hypocrites and the disbelievers. May He grant us good, righteous company. And may He, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, grant us the true, correct understanding of the deen. May He create within us the desire of studying ilm. And may He always uh, grant us the suhbah of the pious, uh, inshallah, tabarak wa ta'ala. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi, subhanakallahu wa bihamdihi, inshallah, ilaha illa ant, nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. And um, inshallah, we'll be uh, uh, beginning the Isha Salah soon. And for those who are listening online, I just want to announce, inshallah, ta'ala, if we can, you know, uh, if, we ha- if you have already heard, alhamdulillah, that Monday, our uh, uh, online programs have begun, and our on-site programs have begun, alhamdulillah. So if you are not, if you were hearing first time, please do benefit from these things. The, they are all on our website, that the theme program has begun. Um, and... <clears throat> The uh, deen intensive has begun here as well. Their aqidah is being taught, hadith is being taught, seerah is being taught. Um, amazing classes, mashallah, ta'ala. Just if you want to try it for a day, uh, if you want to come sit here doing for a day, or if you want to try online, um, you know, do so. And just go check the website out, inshallah. I do not want any one of us to be deprived of all of this that's being offered, especially the online classes. You can listen to it you know, later on too, they are recorded. And we have some amazing ulama teaching from across the globe. 
So do go ahead and check what is being offered, inshallah, this summer. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow you and I all to become students of knowledge for the rest of our lives. Subhanallah, bihamdi, subhanallah, bihamdi, shalallah, ilaha illa, nastaghfir, wa natubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمد رسول الله أشهد أن محمد رسول الله حي على الصلاة حي على الصلاة حي على الفلاح حي على الفلاح الله أكبر الله أكبر لا إله إلا الله Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Ashhadu an la ilaha illa Allah, Ashhadu an la ilaha illa Allah. Ashhadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah, Ashhadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah. Hayya ala salah, hayya ala salah, hayya ala al-falah, hayya ala al-falah. Qad qamat al-salat, qad qamat al-salah. الله أكبر الله أكبر لا إله إلا الله الله الحمد لله رب العالمين الرحمن الرحيم 
مالك يوم الدين إياك نعبد وإياك نستعين اهدنا الصراط المستقيم صراط الذين أنعمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين يا أيها الذين آمنوا لا تكونوا كالذين آذوا موسى فبرأه الله فبرأه الله مما قالوا وكان عند الله وجيها يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم أعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم ومن يطع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فوزا عظيما إنا عرضنا الأمانة على السماوات والأرض والجبال فأبين فأبين أن يحملنها وأشفقن منها وحملها الإنسان إنه كان ظلوما جهولا ليعذب الله المنافقين والمنافقات والمشركين والمشركات ويتوب الله على المؤمنين والمؤمنات وكان الله غفورا رحيما الله سمع الله لمن حميده الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر الحمد لله رب العالمين الرحمن الرحيم مالك يوم الدين إياك نعبد وإياك نستعين اهدنا الصراط المستقيم صراط الذين أنعمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين وكأي من قرية عتت عن أمر ربها ورسله فحاسبناها حسابا شديدا فحاسبناها حسابا شديدا وعذبناها عذابا نكرا فذاقت وبال أمرها وكان عاقبة أمرها خسرا أعد الله لهم عذابا شديدا فاتقوا الله يا أولي الألباب الذين آمنوا فاتقوا الله يا أولي الألباب الذين آمنوا قد أنزل الله إليكم ذكرا 
رسولا يتلو عليكم آيات الله مبينات ليخرج الذين آمنوا ليخرج الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات من الظلمات إلى النور ومن يؤمن بالله ويعمل صالحا يدخله جنات يدخله جنات تجري من تحتها الأنهار خالدين فيها جنات تجري من تحتها الأنهار خالدين فيها أبدا قد أحسن الله له رزقا الله الذي خلق سبع سماوات ومن الأرض مثلهن يتنزل الأمر بينهن لتعلموا أن الله لتعلموا أن الله على كل شيء قدير وأن الله قد أحاط بكل شيء علما الله سمع الله لمن حمده الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر الله سمع الله لمن حميده الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر سمع الله لمن حمده الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر 
الله أكبر السلام عليكم ورحمة الله السلام عليكم ورحمة الله الله أكبر استغفر الله استغفر الله استغفر الله الذي لا إله إلا هو الحي القيوم وتوب إلى الله لا إله إلا الله وحده الشريك الأمين يا حسين يا كريم يا ذو الجلال يا علي يا ذو الجلال